0: Back, hello
1: everybody, Lydia. I'm Finn, and our special guest today, Loretta Kennedy. I am so excited to have Loretta on the podcast. I have known of Loretta and met Loretta for about oh I don't know four years I want to say four or five years in lots of different guises and yeah I'm so excited that she's agreed to come on the podcast. Loretta is a multi-passionate entrepreneur and coach and today she is here to talk to us about money and the toxicity around money and our Mm. emotional attachment to money and all of that kind of stuff that makes most of us kind of go oh Mm. and yeah for me certainly this is a time and I think for lots of us this is a time when a podcast like this is so needed it's coming off the back of the last two years lots of us have found ourselves in slightly squirmy places or everything has changed and whether that's a better place or a worse place our attitudes around money our attachments to money and our emotions around money they're deeply complex right
2: yeah absolutely um and thank you both so much for having me on your podcast I'm delighted and delighted to be speaking um into this topic, really, because it's it's huge. And as you already said, it's so multi-layered. It's so complex. And every single one of us has something when it comes to our relationship with money. Whether, you know, it's something we've inherited from our ancestors or something that we've had in our own lived experience, we all carry something. We all have something because money is such a complex, it's, it's such a complex, um, intangible thing. You know, and when we talk about money, it's um, it's really important to, you know, it's one of the things I suppose that I have learned myself. So I went off and I studied um, about money <laughs> um, because so much was coming up for me in relation to how I was running my businesses. And I, I found that I kept encountering these behaviors and recognizing these behaviors in myself and there came a point where I just thought I have to go into this I actually have to really do the work here because nothing is moving here everything is really really stagnant and I know that there's something really really deep here because my head is telling me to do one thing but my body my my, my nervous system is just terrified Um, so that's what led me down the route of uh, studying um, in the trauma of money um, program so it's a really beautiful program yeah
0: um, and what sort of behaviors are you talking about to make it really specific for people? Like what what are the sort of examples in terms of in your own experience? What are the sort of behaviors that were toxic that you recognize that you needed mm-hmm. to address?
2: So things like having a, a lack mentality or a lack ma- mindset, a scarcity mindset. I mean, my food business was was making money and I was still too afraid to take a salary for myself. Though there was money in the bank mm-hmm. account, though there was a consistent, steady stream of income coming in my nervous system just had this unexplained fear that the bottom was going to fall out of everything. And that, you know, I, I just couldn't do that. Also I hadn't, really had that been modeled to me beforehand Mm. I mean I went to college I did that usual route I mean I, I was born in the 70s so I remember recessions I remember my parents speaking about like deep deep recessions there was a lot of immigration in Ireland at the time I mean I remember when you know women couldn't work in the public service in Ireland you know that's recent memory so for me starting my own business um it triggered so much in me around my relationship with money and what I could and couldn't do with money and also in my own self-belief around being able to generate income for myself that wasn't dependent on somebody else paying me Mm. so it it went very very deep it went very deep I mean other instances where I was afraid to invest in my business Mm. I remember once and I first came up against it. I had one ingredient to buy and I could no longer buy it. I couldn't buy it in like a little five kilogram bag. I had to spend 800 euros on this one ingredient. And I went into something which is called all or nothing um, thinking when, Mm -hmm. when you're in scarcity like you're just your body just goes into this space of I only have two options and that is either buy the ingredient or shut the company down I couldn't it's like you're at the any. roulette
0: wheel and you've got the yeah. black and the white and you're like, okay, that's it everything on black
2: no other options no yeah. other options so uh-huh. that's when you're in the real tunneling the real um you, you don't see the other options. You don't see the bigger picture. You're literally in the trenches in the tunnel. So there was a lot of that coming up for me, a lot of fear and um, a lot of also, I mean, when we we speak about money and, you know, our, our trauma response to money, many of us think about traumas like big T trauma. So catastrophic events that have happened that have really changed mm-hmm. your life. But we also have the, the small T traumas. And these are the things that are, you know, the, the big T is is um, explosive and small T is er- erosive. So it's the small tea traumas of maybe growing up and you were the child on the street that didn't get the best clothes or the new clothes or get to go on holidays or got the hand-me-downs. Maybe you didn't have like the two two quid for chips on a Friday and all your friends did. It's that kind of stuff that just builds up and builds up and builds up. And then you carry that with you as an adult into this feeling and this deep belief that actually, you know, you're never going to have that money. And you have to work really, really hard. So I would have had a really strong work ethic um, in me as well. And part of me really couldn't understand where this, um, this almost workaholism was coming from. Um, I was still broke, <laughs> but I was working and working and working in that real hustle kind of a, um, a space as well. So there, a lot of different things were coming up for me that I think probably a lot of people can identify with as well because they're, they're really common um yeah
0: (laughs) so the your when you say hustle it's really interesting because it kind of it does elicit a lot of our ideas around kind of the american dream Mm -hmm. and this idea that hustling is what gets you there that it's sort of and i had a conversation with my family last night that i found particularly triggering around this the idea that we have to be hustling that somebody else has to lose for us to win and i feel like that for me is one of the biggest problems around what i see in the macroeconomic kind of space that this like general idea that the free market has not just no boundaries in terms of like you know we're not living in like Maoist socialist whatever republic but it has no boundaries in terms of like our actual ethics or responsibility so that everyone was out there with terrifying fear that like that guy just wants my money essentially <laughs> and I just have to like do the hustle the hustle as hard as I can so that I get to have my portion of the pie and it's like a fight essentially isn't it
2: yeah yeah absolutely and I think that's the piece as well around like what's what's the deeper piece around that like where where is the fear really really coming from so you know um there are so many different things come up here for me personally um in relation to the the workaholism it was this feeling that there was always something kind of chomping at my heels and that you know there would never be enough you know that i you know there was didn't almost have permission to rest. That there, there wasn't this permission to really. I mean, if you, if I had a gap, say in my day, I would be looking to fill it with work related things. Um, and then when I became self employed and started working for myself, that just got so. Magnified.
0: It's like taking the genie out of the bottle. I it's was so like, rude. oh my god, forget it.
2: And it's like there's nobody to tell me now, like what hours to work. So I'm just like, whoa, like what do I do here with this like really like marshmallowy kind of time place that I'm in? Um, not as joyful as marshmallow,
0: I might say that. No, not as joyful, <laughs> but it's tasty. just that First real off.
2: kind of like. Um, everything feeling really, um, really different, being in a very, very different space. Um, and like what you're speaking about as well there, Finn, it's, you know, that that whole piece around, well, if that person has, you know, it's, it's this, it feeds into this idea that money is finite and we know money is infinite. Money is man-made, it is infinite. I mean, you can just continue to print money for as long as you want. I mean, I know there are regulations in place, but theoretically money is infinite. And we have infinite ways of making money. And yeah, I mean, with different currencies, I mean, there's so many different um, financial products out there now, but we, we we've been brought up or we've grown up with this idea that it, it is finite, that there's only a certain mm-hmm. amount of it. And if one person gets a bigger slice of the pie, that means there's less for me. So we, we've been trained to be in deficit. We've been trained to always be in lack, even if we have a million quid in the bank, <laughs> even if we have a fridge that is full, um even if we have, you know, all of our bills paid for, if we are still in lack and believing that, believing that that other person has won up on us, our whole system will be in lack. Chemically, our brain will go into lack. Our behaviors will, co- will, will operate from a place of lack. Mm. We'll go into all, that all or nothing and that tunneling type of decision making as well. So we go into the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. We go into a traumatic response, which is what a lot mm. of us are in a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to talk about self-employed. Obviously, like the three of us are self-employed. I think almost all of my friends are self-employed, They're creatives in some kind of a way, and, um, and my parents were too. Um, it's, it's interesting because when we talk about like worth as well in terms of like lack and, and like there's no one to tell you like how much to work, but there's also no one to tell you how much to charge for your business and how much you're worth there's no one giving you a bonus at christmas time or giving you a raise there's no one telling you look, after six months of your performance is this good you will get this thing or your job that you've gone to university is worth this amount and you're a lawyer so you're going to make this amount there's just you out there in your own and you're naturally pitting yourself against other people to go well am i this am i getting more clients than them or less so then i should maybe have more than this or i've been doing it for this amount long and so you naturally go into this comparative thing and then it all gets tied up in worth and then you're still having to define your worth by the money that you're choosing to put on the thing and for me and certainly from what I hear from all my friends who are in this space as well then that lack and that wealth get mixed up together and then it just becomes so murky to even know how to disentangle
2: that yeah yeah absolutely um there's there's a really beautiful tool um that I was introduced to. It's called um, The Window of Resilience. So he's a financial psychologist. Dr. Dan Segal introduced this and the it's abbreviated to the war the W-O-R so when when you're talking um about that that real you know um where we can go into the comparisonitis when when we can actually just you know wake up feeling like I have loads to offer and I'm really good at my pricing and I feel really really solid in who I am today and then two minutes on social media you're like oh my god oh my god like I'm a wreck I'm such a disgrace I'm an absolute failure you know um even recognizing that Like that that's one thing, but when our body still holds on, when our nervous system still holds on to this feeling of inadequacy, it's you know it's very, very difficult when there is that dissonance there where you're you're telling your your head is saying, but no, like you you've got you know your pricing is good and you made this amount of money and and all of that, but your your nervous system is still really dysregulated. Mm So the window of resilience is a really beautiful tool you can use because a lot of the time I find with clients and also with myself, I'm not always sure where I am on on that line. So basically it goes from 0 to 10. And you can put this in the show notes as well. So people can actually have a look at this. And what they have discovered is that Anything between say, um, a six, a five, six, seven is a really good place for you to be for your nervous system to make a good decision and to actually feel like, um, you're back in your own body what we find when people are hyper aroused is that that distractiveness can kick in that jangliness the dissociation um you know where you actually just you're not in your own body and you're not feeling safe to be with yourself so a lot of the work is around how do you bring yourself back into that middle ground where you are anchored, where you are feeling really, really solid. The other extreme of that is, you know, the one, two or three. And when you're on that end, Oh, no. of the scale just freeze response it's the freeze trauma response and a lot of people would have that as well where you're just like frozen into inaction because everybody else is so brilliant and I'm just really shit and what's the point <laughs> you know mm. so it's about like what are the different things that you can do what are the different techniques or the different uh, modalities that you use to bring yourself back into that really lovely sweet spot where you are feeling good about yourself but also where there's you know th- th- that dissonance doesn't exist between your mind and your body, um, mm-hmm. and I think comparison is huge. It, 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 it is absolutely huge. And pricing, there's there's so much energy in in pricing, and especially being self-employed, especially um, if you're offering a service, if you're a service-based um, mm-hmm. practitioner. It's one thing selling a product, like a physical product, because, you know, you can do the calculation of how much it costs and build in your margin and, and all of that in your distribution. And then there's there's a cost and a charge. But when it's you yourself as well, when you're the one delivering the service, there is no, um, there's no thin film between you and yeah. the person who you're delivering it to. So oftentimes what I'll find is even... So for people who are money avoiders, typically how that shows up is that if somebody comes to you and says, I really want to work with you, can you tell me how much it is to do one of your classes? Um, Somebody who's a money avoider will typically say, do you know what, I'll email you (laughs) because they're afraid to speak it or they just can't get the words out because they're not comfortable with speaking about money or they're not comfortable with naming Mm. their price Um, or they just may never get back to that person again. So it's that that whole thing where we're calling in abundance. We're doing all the affirmations and it's all up here. And then when you really look at it, like, how am I with abundance? How am I when when those clients start calling and start emailing me? You know, how am I with overflow? Can I hold it? Can I contain it? Can I actually meet them and have that adult to adult conversation with people?
0: One of the things we're seeing a lot of at the moment, both of us, in fact, uh, are having a lot of conversations with people who pre-pandemic were really living their passion and they were trying to pursue something that was you know based on purpose and like was a real was a real mission to them and they seemed to identify it and they were living it they were happy and it was it was still difficult they were usually self-employed in roles like teaching yoga or those types of kind of disciplines where you're really going it on going it on your own and and a lot of those people that we've come across lately are slipping back Well, I would say slipping back, but let's say moving back, to be fair, um, for whatever reason, to to roles within like old, old roles they used to do, like they used to be marketing analysts or they used to be uh, financial analysts or they used. so that I'm I'm seeing so many of that, so much of that at the moment. Like how if we're somebody who and we are (laughs) as attached to our mission as we are and we're seeing all the financial reasons why those people are moving out of this very unsafe space or what can feel like a very unsafe space where you're really authoring your own thing and you're responsible for it and the bottom line lands with you and the book stops you and that sort of stuff and 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 you're seeing actually money not coming in in the same way as it was how can you try to self-check before jumping off that what feels like or can feel like a sinking ship
2: Oh yeah, great! And like there are a couple of different tools you can use there. So I mean, one really beautiful one is um, is halt H A L T. So it's the it's used with um, I think Alcoholics Anonymous use it. So H being you know not to make a decision, not like not to jump to make a decision when you're feeling very triggered or when your nervous system is really really triggered. So if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, or if you're tired, and these could be some of those classical reasons why people make um, a I like a, an immediate decision or jump into something and um, the other piece is to really check in with what's going on with your body what's going on with your nervous system and where are you feeling it so to notice if you're dissociating to notice if your heart rate is accelerating to notice if you're absolutely just totally flat and you just mm. don't want to look at it you don't want to engage with the financial advisor you don't want to look at any other means of bringing in income and then to try and bring yourself into a place where you make a discerning decision and the decision Decision might still be that you go back to your old job and you timeline it or you do both Um, I actually heard a woman who speaks um who speaks a lot about financial literacy she spoke um she used the term an angel investor in a way I've never heard it used before and she said you know can can you see can you view your nine to five as an angel investor for a fixed period of time If that's what you need, if that's what you need for your nervous system to feel regulated, if that's what you need to feed your family and pay your mortgage, like maybe that's what you need to do. And I agree with that. I mean, and I can only speak from my own experience, you know, which was I had such a lack mentality. I wouldn't even give up my day job, you know, knowing that I had money for a salary. So sometimes, I really feel like we do need to do what is is good and right for us, but to also to be able to timeline it because we all know that the years can just slip into years, into years, into years. So um, we're in very, I suppose, strange circumstances at the moment. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people leaving um, institutions like healthcare, like education, and going off to become self-employed, so it's interesting. I'm seeing this in the post-pandemic. Um, where I'm seeing a lot of nurses leaving nursing. I'm seeing a mm. lot of psychiatrists leaving psychiatry, mm. um, and teachers who have just really, you know, had enough really at this point and are choosing to really go in search of you know what their their true purposes or whatever that archetype might be that they have, um, to really um. I suppose, expand on it and turn the volume up on it for themselves in their own way, in their own unique way. So I think post pandemic, we're seeing so much movement and ultimately we are the only people who know what's good for us. We're the only mm-hmm. people who know what our own unique set of circumstances are. And I'm definitely not somebody who would tell anyone who has a mortgage and children and food to put on the table. Oh, just give up your day job and the universe will support you because, you know, I didn't do that. <laughs> so, um But I I am seeing, it's interesting, I'm seeing quite a lot of people leaving um, their nine-to-fives and and going off and doing their own thing. Now, a lot of those people would have financial savings, they would have done their figures, It wasn't a rash decision. Again, this isn't like just a reactive decision. This is like you've thought it through, you've made your decision from a place of being very regulated and knowing exactly how much money you need and you know having engaged with that piece as well. Because I do find, um, particularly if you've had say, like a bad experience in school with maths, or if you were told that you were just really shit at maths or you know that you were shit with numbers, I see a lot of people carrying that through as well to adulthood. And typically that shows up as, and I, I work a lot with women. So that shows up a lot as women, like, um, kind of delegating the financial stuff to their husbands, the insurance, the, the, you know, the mortgage providers, that kind of stuff. Um, and really not feeling confident enough to make like a big decision without kind of consulting on it. So, there's, there's a, there's a big piece there as well. There's a really big piece Mm. there.
1: And you said, um, you know, I'm not one to say, Oh, you know, just give up your, your job and the universe will provide. I was listening to a podcast this morning about the Feng Shui of money and how to Feng Shui your house in terms of money. Just like interesting kind of finding out more things. Do you believe that there is a manifesting that can bring money into your your life into your mindset into your your whole environment or do you believe that it's more tangible that you have to do steps
2: and this is the way it is no I do um I I mean right beside me here I have my vision board and I have three different things written on my vision board that I have been manifesting for the past two years and two of those have come to fruition um and I'm kind of getting the, the kind of the final sign off on one of those this month um, so i absolutely do i absolutely do lydia And for me, the key piece is it's that emotional frequency as well. So when we are in lack, when we're in lack, we do not see the options available to us. We are operating from a much lower frequency. Usually it's pain or shame. Um, You know, we're, we're not open to seeing what else is happening out there in the world. Okay, when we raise that frequency, if we are going to a place of gratitude, particularly and I'm, you know, I'm huge into my journaling I'm huge into writing out you know my I am statements I am you know and I find that a very powerful practice a very very powerful practice and it's not a head intellect practice it's a full body practice and it's the piece around really can feeling say, can I just
1: can I pause you Loretta? can you go yep. into that a little bit just
2: for mm. what does that sure. mean the it's...
1: I am practice what sure that like
2: so what I generally, what and it's a practice that I've used myself over the years. So it's a, it's a very, it's just a very basic, but very beautiful gratitude practice. And the consistency is really key. And for me, what I had been doing initially was the, you know, I'm, I am grateful for, for this and I'm grateful for this, but it was just like really rattling it off. There wasn't the full emotional connection with what I was truly grateful for. It was nearly something I was just ticking off to get done in the morning. So what I've started to do now is I write in the present tense what I'm grateful for. And I write in the future tense what I'm grateful for as if I have it already. And I allow my body to really experience what that will feel like or what that feels like. Okay, so, you know, this one thing that I have been manifesting for two years, I completely let my body feel into what that would feel like when I had it, when I had achieved it. And I checked myself for any dissonance in my body, okay, to see if there was anything around my solar plexus, if there was anything that was just niggly there that I knew was actually going to self-sabotage me from actually, you know, allowing that to happen when the opportunity presented. So it put me in a space of my body recognized how beautiful and how safe this would feel, okay, and then when the opportunities to actually take action on it, I was more inclined to actually go and follow up on stuff and to actually put myself out there because I was so much more receptive to it. So I initiated emails, I followed up with emails from a place of pure potentiality and also feeling like that I was worthy of receiving this. So it was a very different energy that I brought to it, you know, instead of this, like, I, I, I'm calling this in. And then when it arrives that my body, my nervous system isn't actually ready to deal with mm-hmm. all of the work that will actually go with that you know, you know, it's typically people saying, I I'm, I want 20 new clients this month. And, you know, that's their head telling them they need 20 new clients because they, they need to pay this bill. Then the 20 new clients come in and they realize, well, I don't have a payment system set up. I've no like mm-hmm. Stripe isn't linked. Um, the kids are off on summer holidays. So actually, I don't have capacity to take this number of clients. So, you know, it doesn't happen because there isn't the peace there but absolutely I feel like gratitude is huge because gratitude takes us out of this tunneling that we're often in when we're in lack and scarcity because our beautiful brain can't differentiate between like truly being in scarcity or just believing or thinking that you're in scarcity Mm. so you know the brain can't differentiate so if you have that million quid in the bank but you still believe you're in scarcity you are not going to see the bigger picture you are not going to feel the gratitude you are not going to feel the love the joy you're not going to be able to allow um, a sunset to to experience the sunset and to really yeah. drink it in and hold it for yourself. You're going to be really quick to share that or get that out of your system. Another way that this shows up is if, say, for instance, if people have, if, say, if you had money um, in your bank account at the end of the month and you're not used to having money in your bank account at the end of the month. Um, so for somebody who has real difficulty with holding overflow or abundance, they will find a way to get rid of that money they will find a way to put themselves back into the deficit, to put themselves back into the strife, to put themselves back into the, have to always be chasing the thing, okay? Mm-mm. Because it's unfamiliar to be sitting there with money in the bank kind of going, oh my God, like what, what do I do now? There's money and I don't have to work right now. And this feels really dysregulating. I'm just going to spend it so I can go back into my old cycle. Mm,
0: that's very interesting. So, and what you said there about... um not being able to sit with the sunset and sharing it too quickly as you said sharing yeah that, yeah, that is really interesting because you look at people like fifty thousand people at a concert and they've all got their phones up and it's this idea maybe that's the thing that's happening they're living through their phone vicariously because they can't actually experience the joy of actually just being there that's just too much they don't feel like they're allowed they can't give yourself permission to actually just be in the moment it's amazing because that happens at nearly every concert that would suggest that basically everybody is in that situation
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting anytime I say to people, people do have this moment of, oh my God, yeah, like I, or the last time that you've had a really good idea you know, or this great brainwave that you've had for this new app, you know, we all we all get those, yeah? And like, how quick are you, do you allow yourself to sit with that and to hold it and to really enjoy that? Or are you really, really quick to run off and share it with somebody? Um, but it's like the really, the pleasurable experiences, like, like the sunset, like just waking yeah. up and feeling something really beautiful or like a hug from your child. Do you really allow it? Do you really allow it in and to, to kind of be in that overflow? And a lot of us don't a lot of us don't we're not comfortable with it we find a way to get rid of the the pleasurable feelings um or because we're so conditioned to always being in lack you know yeah
1: and you said earlier you were talking about you touched on it just slightly and maybe it was before we started talking about like the trauma the ancestral trauma of money mm. and like where we hold that trauma in ourselves so this isn't even like this lifetimes trauma maybe maybe it's inherited trauma can you talk a little into that
2: yeah um so the role of epigenetics has been really identified as being it's 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 huge actually when it comes to any kind of trauma and also with money um so I was very lucky I was part of a, an international cohort in the trauma of money program that I was on and like hearing and listening to people's stories um you know of what they their ancestors had experienced and you know what had actually kind of washed down the line to them um really helped a lot of people to really make sense of why they were the way they were mm. when it came to money and you know so much of you know system it's 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 pre-verbal it's nonverbal. Um, we hold these um there might not be a story there might not be words but there's a feeling or there's a darkness or there's a, there's an injunction. There's like, you can't have that. And you don't know where it came from. Um, Mm. you know, it's important to remember that, you know, any belief that we have that doesn't actually serve us, that it's not ours. That's not ours. That's come from somebody else, because we would only have a belief that will actually nurture us as, as humans. So any belief that we have that actually, um, hurts us or is hurtful to us or you know that's not ours we've inherited that from someone Hmm.
0: do you think that money has its own energy
2: and i i think i'm from the west of ireland i have this fascination with the irish famine like an absolute fascination and I, I you know I, I don't know where it comes from but then we did some ancestral uh tracing and my people come from like this one particular part of Mayo where my parents now live actually it's you know and I didn't grow up there but they've actually moved back there and there's a little area called Kerry Kennedy as well which is really close so there was a Kennedy clan that lived there but I have a fascination with the famine and you know and for me I I believe that I have something that's passed down through me into on a cellular level that I hold, mm. um, you know, and that's, those, that's for my people, you know, but yeah. what we also know about epigenetics is that, you know, going forward, we can change what's passed on. So the legacy right. we leave can, can, can be very different as well, that we can change that. But, you know, ultimately it's us then doing that work to, to break mm-hmm. um, that kind of subconscious behaviors yeah. and patterns.
0: There was um, a really interesting thing I was reading around like the studies around epigenetics and they did a study in cats where they <laughs> put a cat into a starvation mode, awful thing. And then it had kittens and that cat, the cat, the cats that had, that were put in starvation mode, had one less kitten than the other cats. But each generation for nine generations had one less kitten each generation. So not only did it carry, but it perpetuated and it magnified the effect each generation, like concentrated, which is a terrifying thing thought around epigenetics wow. that we were living with more of what that person experienced than they were living with themselves yeah. uh, we're experiencing more of that trauma it's, it's actually being magnified and, and the resonance that comes down whatever it is this crazy bimorphic situation crazy field that we have that it that it actually leaves us with so much residual more residual than there was in the original act itself wow um which i find wild do you do you believe that um money carries its own energy
2: so I believe money is neutral <laughs> yes. and, and and I believe, and I believe it's what we project onto money that gives it its charge. Mm-hmm. So I really, I believe that, you know, and this is something I've been working on myself because I wouldn't have held this belief beforehand. Um, but for me, my big aha moment, my big reframe was really noting that actually money is infinite. It's, mm. it's man-made, you know, it is actually man-made. There's an infinite supply of it. Um, but we have been conditioned living in, you know, a capitalistic, consumer-driven, you know, um, post-colonial society that money is is everything. And it's, you know, so for me, it's whatever you project onto it, that's what gives it its charge. Mm. Um, but there is absolutely an energetic piece there and going back to what you were speaking about Lydia about like you know charging for our services and the self-worth piece like how do you put a value on your worthiness you know it's it's just it's so basic to have to you like use a currency (laughs) to do that with but that is the society we live in um but yeah but what are your feelings? what what are your feelings around money
0: They've sort of been really evolving for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I I think I didn't really have much of an attachment to the good or bad of money um until I was maybe in my twenties. And I started like I was I was always has this kind of like slightly ethical drive around the world that I believe that, you know, that there was, you know, the things that were being done with money on a global scale weren't really at, for the benefit of society and, and i and i understood things maybe innately around it that, that, that i put a language on since maybe in terms of you know money being siphoned upwards that sort of thing that, that there wasn't that people being divested of power and, and money and it was being used as a as a, a surrogate for that i suppose um from the general populace and then i my dad died when i was in my 20s and because he passed away when his parents were still alive, when his parents passed away, I gained an inheritance from him that I shouldn't have for another, I don't know, 20, 30 years soon, who knows, you know, as long as he should have lived. And, and it was weird because the inheritance that I gained, um, I didn't, I had, I, had, I had a very strained relationship with that. Um, it was a multifamily kind of thing, a very mixed bag thing with lots of different voices in it. And it, and it hasn't been that straightforward. And I would say it's, it's, it's put strain on relationships, but also the origin of that money itself. I don't know how cozy I am with the origins. And as a result, I like, it's, you know, it's not ill gotten gains, but it's just like, like what I was saying at the start, like, I'm not, I have this feeling around, like if, like if, if the free market exists, that there should be some ethics around how it's manifested, how, how it metabolizes, you know, and, and that if it's not, then that. I sort of have a feeling like that the money that comes out of that has a charge, holds a charge. Mm. And so for me, I feel that the that there's a weight of responsibility to do something with that inheritance that has to go in another direction in order to counter that. Uh, I feel like that's the opportunity I have anyway, which is great. But I definitely feel like I'm charged with that as well. I feel like that's an actual obligation as opposed to just like it's my choice now, you know.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow! yeah, that's and I mean, that's the piece there around the charge. I mean, how, how complex is that and how layered is that? And there's so much to unpack in that. That's mm. not just a, you know, a deposit into your account. Um, There's there's all these people with
0: layers yeah. and generations of epigenetic like things like you're talking about as well. Uh, money, money is like it just carries so much trauma. That's the problem. It's really it feels like it's very difficult to imagine a society that still has money as money that isn't traumatic like you know the way you look at mm-hmm. uh not the aztecs but the oh, what was his name the emperor um the mayan emperor whatever the guy who who used chocolate as a currency it feels like we'd actually have to change money to that point you know to to reimagine it so that people wouldn't hold the ideas around money like we have it you know the fact that it's like gold and silver based. it's basically it's made like the, the coins that we had are like things that are necessarily finite resources that we make it from you know and and that's Mm -hmm. problematic in itself and then we move to plastic and then it's so ethereal that like There's no sense like people need a groundedness from it. And that's kind of gone from 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 having that the the lack of tangibility around it is problematic for people. And also then for me, I I have this problem around it because I I pay people every two weeks. And I feel like there's a real issue in that they don't realize that they get paid A by me or B by the customers who come into the shop because the money just lands in their account in this magic way every two weeks. And I feel like that lack of tangibility is also really problematic for it. But if it's tangible, then it's also finite. And it's like, there's there's so much in it that money is a fascinating topic for me.
2: Yeah. Um, I remember listening, you did a really brilliant podcast on um, the mycelian network. I remember that. That was amazing. And it's something that's taught actually in the trauma of money around like money and how ideally it should be dispersed. That if we were to look underneath our feet at the forest floor and the mycelian network, how there's this beautiful infinity loop. There's this beautiful figure of eight that is, that is at play the whole time where if there's, um, you know, uh, an area of lack, then that that can be brought in and that there's a beautiful Mm -hmm. flow that keeps everything just going really, really beautifully. And I love that. I love that idea. And I mean, also how, you know, you, as you, you said, you know, you have this charge now, you know, with, with this money that you have, or you feel this obligation and, you know, um like how what, how wonderful as well that you're in that position you know mm. um that you can actually do something with that and you can distribute it wh- whichever way you want but it is that piece when um i think it's only when you become self employed that you realize like what actually goes into the the piece around like generating um income Mm. and generating the money when you are an employee it is a very very different experience and you don't really know or realize as you say like that the customers have actually paid for that piece or um it's the whole economics of how money is broken down. is really interesting. I remember doing um, my first pricing on one of my physical products and being told you need to build in a salary component into that product. And I had never kind of realized that before, you know, and it was like, oh, OK. So I should be putting in like one cent towards the salary in every unit. And, you know, I was, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, this is really fascinating how, how this yeah. all works. It is endlessly fascinating, but also very, very complex. And mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. yeah, Loretta, how do so, so? Like, if people are listening and they're like us and they have whatever issues that they have around money. Wh- how do they go around solving that? Like, do they do they come to you and they work with you one to one? Do you give them resources? Is there like a course that you have? Like, how can people go? Okay, yes, I met hands up. I've got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, How do I fix this problem?
2: Okay so there are a couple of things and the first thing that I always say is that where where we are now where any of us are now it is you know the result of choices and experiences and things that have happened in our past either our own lived past or somebody else's past our great-grandmother's our great-grandfather's past. So where we are are at now it is that kind of that backwash okay um, and where we are, are at now it's this is now the going forward piece. So what do you do with it now? So it doesn't always have to be like this or it doesn't always have to feel like this. Even, you know, um, the sunset, you know, is there a point where you can actually allow that sunset and just sit with it and drink it into your bones and really enjoy it and not tell anyone else that you've even experienced it? Just hold that Mm -hmm. for yourself. So the first piece is, and, and I love having a framework to hang things on um, for me, you know, um, particularly with the traumatic piece around money, so much of it is it's nonverbal. It's just a feeling, a felt sense. So there is a really great um, resource. It's um, a client's money script. So there are several money scripts and generally every one of us we're we're usually a combination of two or three different money scripts so you've got the money avoider the money worshiper you've got um um there's a couple of different ones but i'll link that resource there and you can go on and do the quiz yourself it's free and it just generates then um kind of your your personality type okay and for a lot of people that's where you'll have your initial aha moment of oh my god that's me that's so me i'm the money avoider i don't look at my bank statements um i don't want to know i don't even know how much money i have in my bank account at the moment it's all mental arithmetic there's nothing solid so that's the money avoider and so that's a really great starting starting place Um, I also have a five-week online program now I ran it live um, for the first time I will be running it live again perhaps in October Um, but there is an online version um, available now and that's on my website and I can link that as well so it's five weeks there's some beautiful somatic practices in there as well to help with regulation Um, there's some really beautiful practices as well if for anyone who might find that they're really dissociating or feeling that urgency around making like really reactive decisions and then there's a lot of um, frameworks in there as well so it's it's the combination of both really there's the healing piece is the compassionate piece there's also the understanding piece and then there is the piece of well what do I do next it's great to understand it but like well, how do I actually do something then when in real time stuff was coming up for me and I'm falling back on my old ways and, and patterns And I will be doing one-to-one work with people as well, but probably not again until October. I'm taking some time off this summer because I've been doing a lot of studying. And for me, like that's, this is the first summer I've actually really taken off. And my nervous system, even like two, three weeks ago was going, you need to be filling in this time with some work. And, you know, I had to really work through that myself to be like, no, it's okay you know, um, like almost speaking to a younger part of me that was feeling really mm. dysregulated and just saying, it's OK, the, the figures are OK and I'm, I'm going to take some time with the kids and, you know, it's, it's all right. I have permission to rest. So, um, so those are the, the three, three different ways. Yeah. Mm.
0: And if somebody's doing really, really well with money on the ground, there are a lot of Porsche Taycans driving down the road these days around Rothmines. Like, and they've never thought about this stuff. Does everybody need to engage with it? Like, you know, what if things are just fine and it's okay?
2: So, the title of my program is called Legacy. And for me, legacy is two ways. So legacy is what we've all inherited, the legacy we've inherited, but also what's the legacy you're going to leave after you. Um, so I really do believe in social impact. I really do believe in if you are part of that Mycelian network and you've got a stash of something there <laughs> and maybe those trees or saplings over there are don't have as much, um, perhaps there's a way that you could actually maybe redistribute that um, a little bit more i think it's always worth really looking at you know our legacy isn't necessarily how much money we leave it, it's also you know our reputation it's our actions it's what we did with our time here on this planet it's like what what is your purpose what is your true purpose and how can you make a, a good and and graceful impact on this planet um one of the the key laws really is around again the law of reciprocity and that's where the mycelian network comes in so if we are always taking 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 from the planet from mother earth if we're always taking 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 there is going to be something out of whack there will be something out of whack it's that beautiful infinity loop again and if we're overgiving as well there's going to be something out of whack because we have to be able to receive if we're giving If we overgive, we're going to become Mm. resentful and burnt out and exhausted. So for that person who is an absolute overflow, um, I would say really start maybe looking at, you know, or thinking or reflecting on like, what's your legacy going to be? Um, Because there is a huge piece here around redistribution, I feel
0: yeah and for those who might not believe in the hereafter your your patterns of what you leave as a legacy will be here after you're gone that's it's an interesting thing isn't it whether you believe in god or not there's a there's a thing there there's a ripple out effect from whatever you've done um yeah so good for you
2: absolutely with the cellular memory yeah cellular memory big time
0: (laughs) thank you so much for that that has been an absolute blessing and a really interesting chance for me to reflect i'm sure lydia as well um yeah maybe we'd love to have you back on in another few months time because we haven't talked about the actual recession we haven't talked about what's happening in terms of the underlying money currency stuff that's that's kind of going on at the moment in, in great detail and there's so much more we could discuss I mean, I think, right
1: i think it would also be really nice to do one and this is you know maybe i don't want to do this <laughs> I, I think it would be really nice if like we did like a little mini case study guinea pig thing with one of us yeah where, like, we oh were yeah about our problems to us <gasps> like around like how you would deal with that for people to see like obviously not to give your time away for free but for people who are hesitant but are thinking actually that's something I want to invest in but say you're Mm -hmm. someone like me who at the moment is in a place where they don't have very much money and they're going i really need this program but I don't have very much money so I can't actually even buy the program to solve my money issues to work with it you know to be able to see how what that might look like in a micro way might be really useful to help people to feel safe to invest in that
2: oh that would be that would be amazing that would be amazing and you know what for anyone i would i would just say like really start with your nervous system really start with those little things about you know everyone can take a moment to experience and to give and feel gratitude in their day absolutely Mm -hmm. you can because immediately once you do that you're straight away you're raising your emotional frequency Mm -hmm. and you're taking your brain out of lack OK, be, and you're just becoming a lot more open to the abundance that actually does exist. Um, it may not be financial, but perhaps yeah. it's health, perhaps it's relationships, perhaps it's love, you know. Mm. um. So there's there's lots of different practices that we can all use as well to just really to nourish our nervous system, because that's that's the big work. That really is the big work. It's around nervous system regulation. Mm, perfect. Mm. Good point to leave it. OK, well, listen, thank you okay. very much. <laughs> thank you thank so you. much, guys so and lovely thank to
0: see you cheers same and, and and uh and best of luck with all of your like what you're starting into it just sounds like a, a really interesting flow state really really interesting i and very interested to follow it and see where it goes uh thank you everyone to watch for watching as well and um, we just like to say thank you briefly to our sponsors to clear light saunas uh who make this possible and um, if you are somebody who is engaged in or thinking about the idea of Getting in a sweaty box a few times a week, and you understand that there's some amazing, powerful health principles behind that. If you're somebody who just like to have that little retreat in your back garden that you can escape from whatever it else is it is in your life for, for a few hours a week, uh, come and talk to us. We can help you get a discount. And uh, and you are like um are the best people in the world for infrared saunas, absolutely hundred percent EMF free, etc. Also, mm-hmm. thanks to us, we're our own sponsors. God damn it, because you need those these days.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we just started our own collection of consciously crafted clothing. It's a little capsule collection and it's our way of sponsoring ourselves to do this work Mm. so that we're not constantly looking to other people and trying to get sponsorship for ourselves, but also so that we can help to educate around the importance of slow fashion, the importance of sustainability within Mm. the fashion industry and really coming back to one of the tenants that we really believe and that we talk about all the time that the choices that we make that are best for ourselves are always the choices that are best for the planet Mm. and vice versa. So the clothing that we've made is organic, it's locally printed, it's sustainably sourced, and it's made for people who want to wander. So yeah. you can find it on the wanderingintowellnessproject.com.
0: Where you can literally put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, and Absolutely. you can help
1: sponsor our podcast <laughs> and have something. To
0: yes, indeed. Okay, so thanks again, and we will see you soon. Thanks, Thereto. Thanks, many. Bye. Bye.